It's Amber Bradley, your host for the unscripted side of LP. It's Talk LP Podcast time. Talk LP Podcast fans, it's Amber Bradley here, your magical host on your podcast time. We appreciate you tuning in. We have a special guest today, as always, Will England from Wise Markets. What's up? Hey, not a lot. Fourth of July. Yep. We are stoked for the long weekend, but so Will, I would be remiss because you are vice president of asset protection, risk management, and compliance. And I want to get into that. That's a, that's a quite a long title and a lot of stuff packed into that. Yes. Um, we, so we're, we're a moderately sized company, right? We're a $4 billion organization. We now have uh, 200 stores, a few more under construction, um, but we, we wear a lot of hats. And so, uh, you know, I had a few more hats that I used to wear, but we've given some of those away just because asset protection continues to grow. I've picked up compliance since I've been here. Risk management um, is, is a big part of what we what we are doing here. Uh, safety, and then you know we're we're growing into the business continuity space even. So a lot of hats here. Yeah. So a uh, Wise is a very cool company. I mean, you guys have a lot of things going on, um, and you've spent most of your career. Uh, in grocery. So tell us, but you started out at Sears in retail. And if you can remember back that far, we're going to put our, our travel hats on. What is it about grocery? Because, you know, at Calibration, clearly we're, we're in groceries, our thing, but, and we find that it's so complicated. I mean, you have to really be an expert at some of these fine details that, you know, maybe retail has different fine details, but what is it about grocery, would you say, that's kept you in, in the business? You know, a lot of people jump around, but I mean, is it is it like your passion? I mean, are you like, there's specific things that I just love figuring out? Uh, you, you know, I, I do have this conversation with people occasionally because I have worked uh, for drug chains and I have worked at grocery and I've worked at, for department stores and, and grocery is a lot of fun. They, you know, I think what makes you successful in loss prevention or asset protection in one place will uh, maintain you uh, to be successful anywhere, really. So it's not that it's overly complicated, but, you, you know, the organization grocery, when you do grocery, there are some unique concepts to grocery uh, and shrink. The margins are are slimmer. The stakes are a little bit higher, um, and and then our organization here, for example, there's so many different components. When I was at Sears, you know, I was uh, retail only. I was a storefront, right? We were working in stores. Here in grocery, and the last grocery chain I was with, we had distribution. We have pharmacy. We have manufacturing plants that are making milk or cheese or frozen foods. Um, private label soft drinks. We've got uh, meat processing happening. We've got, uh, you know, just our own distribution centers. There, there are a lot more components and a lot more uh, moving pieces to keep your brain engaged rather, you know, than strictly working on a storefront side. That's what yeah. I like about it anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think what throws the complexity wrench into it, at least, you know, me not living it every day is that perishable side of things, right? I mean, um, how, how would you say, I guess the perishable side fits in just for our grocery listeners out there, right? I mean, is that something where if you can't figure that out pretty quickly, when you get into the grocery realm, you're kind of sunk. It's, uh, 
I, you know, it, I would say it's going to depend on how you're how you're managing that. So if you're managing margins, it's going to maybe be less important than if you're trying to manage directly to a shrink number. Overall, it's the same thing. And what fixes one fixes the other. But some some companies choose to say, if I'm maintaining a positive margin, then I'm not that I'm not going to be as worried about my shrink. Um, and some companies set a shrink goal and say, regardless of the margin, we want to keep our shrink below a certain amount. Uh, it, it is generally speaking about 40% of your business, but when you talk about shrink dollars, if you're really going to measure shrink dollars, that number will be significantly more um, than your non-fresh department dollars. So if you took grocery, dairy, frozen food, GM, those types of categories, uh, you know, it's probably at least three to one fresh dollars to, to a center store or a non-perishable shrink dollar. So it is significantly more uh, significantly more money and impact to the organization. Absolutely. Even though it's not uh, for most traditional grocery stores or supermarket formats, uh, it's not a majority of the business, but it'll be overwhelmingly a majority of the dollars and shrink. So every time I talk to you, it's, I learned something new. And especially because I feel like, like you approach things in a very business mind, right? I mean, sometimes we're talking about it and you're like, have you heard the news on the acquisition and the recent, and it's more like broad business, like, you know, what's happening, right? Business-wise in the world that's going to eventually impact your company. At least that's how I feel every time we talk. Cause I learned something new. I'm like, no, I did not know that, but really interesting. How do you, um, how do you feel about, you know, our listeners and, and improving their, overall view of the business, right? I mean, clearly you absorb a lot of news, not just in the industry and not just even in grocery, but you, you have a holistic view of what's happening. So speak to that a little bit about why you feel like that's important. Has it always been kind of your thing to master kind of the economics of what's going on? I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably partially the way that I was sort of raised in loss prevention, uh, you know, and, and that was early in my career. Um, I, I was sort of taught that you have to be a total business partner. So uh, some organizations aren't like that. Some are a traditional security loss prevention. Uh, we do investigations uh, type department, and that's fine if that's what your organization needs. The, the programs that I've been a, a part of, uh, especially early on, were we want you to be a total business partner. So for example, grocery, you know, my specific responsibility is, is loss prevention, but how effective can I be if I don't go learn the meat department? How effective can I be if I don't understand deli and food service and bakery and backdoor receiving and, and uh, you know, the, the supply chain processes and how things go out the front end uh, and, and how that data is processed and, you know, what might happen to our computer-aided ordering systems if somebody rings up uh, you know, all of us, you know, maybe it's cat food, right? And I ring up 10 cat foods, all is the same thing. And instead of 10 different varieties of, of, of cat food, and what does that do to your ordering system? How does that impact shrink? Uh, I've always uh, tried to learn as much as I could about every individual department so you can understand how they play together. Uh, and then it helps you solve problems much easier. Yeah, that's, um, that's great advice for sure. And, and probably why, you know, with that mindset, you get a broader scope of responsibility, right? right? With risk and compliance. And I know I haven't asked you one question yet that I told you I was gonna ask you. So, hey, we'll get into it. Sure. <laughs> but looking at, you know, you're talking about how you were raised. And I think that's 
you know, really important when people look at you and they say, I want to be that, you know, I mean, we have a lot of listeners all over the map as far as hierarchy. And then they get, you know, a lot of people's goals is that VP title with all of the things that you're responsible for. So when you talk about, you know, how you base, how you lead or how you think, or is there any life lessons and leadership or anything like that that would help kind of the up and comers in the audience to say, I want to be like Will England, you know, with, with his progression up the ladder. Uh, you know, there are, I'll give you some things that if, if you know me and you hear me talking on this podcast, uh, and you go, he's not really good at that. Uh, just know these are tips that I, that I made some things are some, these might be things that I've learned and also things that I know I need to work on. But, uh, I, I do give some advice to people who are up and coming. There are really two key points, uh, in your career for me when I see people trip up most often. And that is the transition from a single unit to multi-unit. And then as you go up the ladder and you come out of maybe a district position and into a more broad regional level position, there are some, I see a lot of people trip up in that. Um, and so the first one would be when you're going from a single store to multi-unit, what you really need to pay attention to is uh, when you're in one store, you're really good at that one store and you can do everything in that store and you're in it five or six days a week and you have a single management team. And so you know that store inside and out and you know how to get things done. When you move into a district role and you have 15, 25 stores, you can't be in them every day, maybe not even every month, you won't be able to get into those stores. And so you have to be really good at uh, learning to influence and learning to communicate with a variety of people. So one of the one of the pitfalls I made early on was uh, I, I had mastered a store and I knew how to do it. And then I tried to multiply that times my first district had 17 stores and I tried to lead them all the same way and I failed miserably. And I had a mentor of mine pull me to the side and say, you're not making it. You're not making it. You've got to figure this out. You can't treat everybody the same way. Every uh, market is different. Every store has a different personality. Everybody uh, needs something different. Even if store A and store B have the same problem to be fixed, you have to figure out uh, the right way to fix it individually for each building. And so I would say uh, early in your career, be mindful of that. Don't try to treat everything the same way. Um, and if you have 17 stores, you're probably going to have to have 17 different ways of leading. And so figure that out early so you don't trip yourself up. And then as you progress for, into the regional role and you're out of the district role, the higher up you go, the less actual uh, stuff you get to do. It's more about leadership and less about doing. And so at a certain point, all the things that you were really good at that got you promoted, you don't get to do that stuff anymore. You have to be, influence other people to do that. So you have to get really good at letting go. And I know the folks who do asset protection and loss prevention, we're really good at uh, trying to control things and keep our hands on stuff and put our stamp on things. And so you have to get really good at trusting your team and letting go and hoping uh, that you set the vision and the strategy the right way and they accomplish it. So those would be two things, I think. And then, you know, one, the I guess the third point that I would always say is trust uh, is very key, especially when you work in a in an organization like we have. Uh, trust each other, be able to trust your team, and, and don't violate that trust. Use your trust to build capital. I think trust is the foundation of every relationship, whether that's a boyfriend, girlfriend, a husband uh, and wife, or your spouse, or your significant other, or your boss, or whatever it is. You have to be able to work and trust. Um, and so I, I would say trust is very key to me. Um, and then the other two points are something that I would tell folks. Uh, to look out for when they're coming up. 
Well, those are awesome. Definitely, definitely new material here on Talk LP, which, which I appreciate. I know our listeners do. So just to dig into that a little bit. So for your first point about the 17 different ways that you may have to manage those stores, does that come down to because the store manager maybe have a different personality or it's you're analyzing the detail of the department's issues? Like what are some things that, you know, you could give specifics to say, well, maybe it's a different technology mix. Maybe it's, you know, like, I was just curious about like what you would have to look at. I wouldn't say it's a different technology mix necessarily. I will say a lot of it is probably personality driven. So that store manager is probably setting the tone for that store. They're hiring people that are similar to them that will get along with them. And, and uh, so every store is probably going to have a unique culture, right? And so you've got you've to learn to influence and work uh, in what they like and what they'll respond to. So not everybody's going to respond to being led the same way, um, you know, but you have company standards that have to be executed the same in every store. So that part can't change, but you still have to figure out how to get them uh, to, to do the right thing, trust your leadership, trust your advice as the shrink expert, as the safety expert, um, and, and you know, basically serve it to them the way that they want it to get them to come along with the program, gain influence. That's interesting. So when you talk about trust too, um, no one likes a micromanager. I know that's for sure. Everyone right. hates that. Right. So is that part of the trust factor uh, when you're leading a team to say, okay, you know, I'm not going to call my guy every 10 seconds to be like, you know, where are you when you knew he had on his calendar, he's going to visit these five stores. Right. I mean, what are some things that you think build that trust with the team to make it to where you don't have to be a micromanager, but you know, things are being executed? Uh, uh, you know, one of the things that that uh, I do with my team uh, that builds trust, but also allows them to know that they have the freedom to, to make those decisions and I don't have to follow up on them is uh, it's uh, I, I make it very OK to make mistakes. It is absolutely OK to make a mistake. You are uh, you are not going to know everything I know. I don't expect you, you know, if I'm walking a store with a DAPM, I don't expect them to know what I know. They're not at the same point in their career. Um, and they may not have seen a situation come up that I have seen before. Um, so I do uh, make it okay for them to figure out how to handle issues and problems and how to accomplish goals. My, my, I kind of view my job, my job is to set the strategy, set the goal and allow them to figure out how to get there, right? If you're not getting there, you're not making progress, you'll certainly be held accountable. But if you try and you make a mistake and you did it, you did your best, but you made a mistake, we're going to learn from it. It's going to be okay. And we'll move on. Part of that process, though, is, uh, you know, teaching your team how to make those decisions. So how, uh, what's the problem? What could we do about that? And you, you don't give them the answer. So we've, you've got a problem. What could you do about it? Well, maybe I could do this. Great. If you did that, what's the worst thing that could happen? Well, maybe this happens. All right. So what's another way you could solve it so the worst case scenario doesn't happen? And so you walk them through that process of thinking through the problem, how they may solve it, how to avoid the pitfalls. And, and then you just go, OK, great. You've got a couple of good options there. Pick one. 
and you you make them make a decision. If you start making the decision for them uh, and micromanaging the process, they'll they'll always lean on you to make their decisions, and they'll never learn and they'll never grow. But if you do, if you walk through that exercise with them a few times on a few problems, they'll learn how you think. You're teaching them a decision making process, and then uh, you know you have to trust that they'll follow that process and and make some good decisions. No, that's excellent that you walk it through because if you're if you're listening to this and you're not at the VP level, right? I mean, when you're approaching your boss with like thoughts about a specific problem, it'd be cool to have already walked through those things. I mean, as a VP, you could appreciate that, right? If one of your people came to you and were like, okay, I got this thing and they had all the answers because they've thought about what you just said. Yeah, and and that that is great. I mean, it's it would be a different learning experience for them if they came to me and said, "I've got a problem," because I'm going to look right back at you and say, "Yeah, that sounds like a problem. What are you going to do about it?" <laughs> right. So, and then maybe we have to walk through the exercise. But yeah, absolutely, problems are okay. Uh, presenting a problem with a couple of potential solutions is is even better. All right. So now turning to those that might be you know on the upper echelon, right? The, the VPs and, and things like that. Like, what would you say, um, you know, in the transition to vice president and all these other categories of things that you're now responsible for, like, what are some things that you've learned along the way to say, okay, maybe there's new VPs out there. Or maybe there's VPs that, that are always interested in learning different um, ways of doing things. But I'm curious, is there anything you've found maybe it's in AP or risk management or compliance that you're like, man, this was a big challenge to me at this level. And this is how I've overcome it. Or I don't know, anything on that side that you're like, man, this has been a big learning for me. And this is how we've, how we've done it. I mean, this is like totally out of left field, but you know how I roll. Uh, yeah. Asking the hard question. I know. I know. Um... <laughs> it's almost like things to watch out for. I mean, maybe it's internal politics too, because I mean, that's bit me in the butt several times, right? That's why I have my own company, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know. I mean, part of a lot of the feedback we hear is that question mark of, of dealing with internal politics. And you hear this all the time, man, you got to get a seat at the table, right? Yeah. Invite yourself to the meeting. But a lot of times it's like a lot of people don't know interpersonally how to do that. Yeah, I, I will say uh, the politics of a C-suite uh, are, are definitely a challenge, right? So especially when, I mean, you know, I, I am not, uh, you know, long in tenure as a vice president. I've been doing it uh, four and a half years. Um, but making that transition into the C-suite, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely different. Um, there is no buffer. It, you know, uh, when I was a director, I had a VP that sat in between and could keep me from stepping on a landmine and blowing my leg off. But uh, <laughs> that filter is not there. That buffer is not there anymore. So it, it is definitely um, it's definitely a, a real thing. And uh, and so, you know, how you deal with it, man, you do blow your leg off a couple of times and you start to learn. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think getting a seat at the table is very important and and that's always good advice and i think the way that i've always tried to get uh into the into the room and and be part of the conversations uh are that you know i hold myself and i hold my team to a, a 
extremely high standards, um, extremely high standards. I expect a lot. They deliver a lot. I've got a fantastic team. Um, but part of that is, you know, uh, getting it right, taking your time when you need to take your time, right? But, but uh, delivering the best work product um, out there, delivering better than anyone else. And I believe when you do that a few times, the COOs and the senior VPs and those folks, they recognize that you and your team are doing superior work and you're delivering uh, a high quality work product and you're forward thinking. And to me, that's probably the best thing that you can do to get into those meetings. If you are in a rush to get information up and, and listen, we have critical incidents and there's always this rush to get the information to the top folks and then half the time it's wrong or it's incorrect or it's blown out of proportion or something like that. Uh, you know, if you do that too many times and you run up with information or you run up with ideas that are not fully vetted, uh, you know, you're going to be, uh, you're, you're, you're going to actually lose capital Right. And you'll lose some of that respect. But if you make sure that that, you know, you're buttoned up and, and um, as best as you can be and you deliver that superior work product, you will be invited. They will seek your advice. Well, I think that also goes back to a lot of the perspective you have of kind of that holistic conversation. Right. When we I did this panel for NRF on uh, self-checkout, like what's next for self-checkout and and Sarah Hicks from Home Depot said, you know, she was responsible for rolling it out across their enterprise. She said, you got to reframe the conversation, right? It's not always a shrink conversation. It's a, how do I help you sell more conversation to her merchants? And I think like from your perspective, like you, you know, the business enough and well inside and out to be able to speak that language to the COO. And, and, you know, what would you say that's certainly part of you know, getting the seat at the table and you're not always talking about your internal cases, for instance, right? That's not right. what got you to the VP I, level. I, I do think, so part of my background, I started in loss prevention. I did go into store operations and I, I, I do know that my experience in store operations and as a merchant and as uh, positions in store management, I do know that that's what gave me the edge when I got selected for this position over other candidates um, is they did appreciate that because I can speak the language of the stores. I can speak the language of other departments uh, in the, in the organization. So you, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, having that global perspective. And I like to, I like to say uh, I've been teased in the past, you know, at other organizations to say, you know, they call us the sales prevention department or something like that, or, or we're always saying no, um, and so I keep the attitude here with my team that, you know, listen, they may bring us something that we don't like, but it's our job to find a way to say yes or to make it work. And so that's really the challenge is not to say no all the time to find a way to make it work that we that everyone can be mutually uh, happy with. Yeah, that, those are some great points. Um, OK, so turning to kind of advice that you would give young Will right? Moving up the ladder, like sure. what, if you could reach back into the, you know, get into the DeLorean and go talk to, I don't know, you pick an age, right? Early in your career, in high school, I don't know. What advice would you give that young Will? Uh, uh, I would, I would have uh, liked to have figured out, um, people management a little bit better, right? So early in my career, I am, I am successful as loss prevention manager. I'm successful uh, running a store and being different positions in store, store operations and store management. 
Um, and so I was very good at doing, right? I was very good at doing, I was very good at getting the numbers and making the metrics. Um, but I did it at the expense of personal relationships quite often. And that's just being really honest about myself and where I was at in my mid twenties. Um, and I have, uh, that was a frequent criticism that I got was, you know, you've got to be softer. You cannot be a hammer all the time. Um, and so that was, that was the most frequent piece of advice I got. And so if you're asking me, what would I like to figure it out much earlier in, in life and in my career, it would be uh, to uh, be better at building and maintaining those relationships uh, with peers, with uh, colleagues, with folks in other departments, uh, build your network, maintain relationships. Uh, I mean, I, I feel good about where I'm at now. I'm sure I have challenges occasionally still, um, but that's probably the single thing that I wish I had been aware enough uh, of myself or that a mentor had told me, uh, you know, 20 years ago is, you know, you're going to need these relationships. And so you need to learn to foster them better instead of being a hammer all the time. Yeah, that those are really good. And, and it's almost like that whole reverse the shoes, you know, like I always try to, you know, when you think about a little self-awareness as to how you're coming across or whatever, it's all, I always try to do the whole, well, try to reverse the shoes into their perspective, especially sometimes the goal is not always it, getting to the goal is not always the thing, right? It's like getting to the goal, but not, you know, causing havoc getting right. there. <laughs> yes. I can relate to that, Will, a little bit. I think there are there are a lot of us that can relate to that probably that are listening because it's probably listen that sort of I mean there are people who are more self-aware than I right and it's not the same social uh, atmosphere that it was 20 or 25 years ago when I was going through all of that but um, the thing I I tend to think the things that make us good earlier in our career um, almost kind of breed that sort of uh, personality trait, right? And it's uh, it's not unique to me. Um, and I try to, now I am very aware of it and I try to warn people when I see it. Um, but I don't, I mean, I think that that's probably something that a lot of us, at least listening. Yeah. I uh, mean, it's hard charging. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're like, we're, we're type A, let's get it done. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So last question here, and this is really just like public service. Okay, for all the solution providers out there, I try to help them, right? I try. Um, and those that are really good are listening to this going, oh, so I don't even think this was on the list that I gave you, but any advice to the solution provider community when they're trying to talk to you or have you look at something they want? I mean, we've heard a lot from in the talk LP space, right? One for sure is if you call me, don't then send me an email, then send me a text, like, give me a second, right? I mean, there's there's very minute advice here that sometimes saves a life. So what yeah. do you got for our solution provider community out there? Um, can I, I'll tell you what I don't appreciate first. And then Perfect. it works best for me. So what I don't appreciate is uh, I, I don't appreciate the emails where someone gets on LinkedIn maybe and looks up every executive at an organization they send us all the same message uh, that may or may not even be relevant. And then they put in there, if you're not the right person, please tell me who to talk to. <laughs> I'm not doing your homework for you. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's one. Don't do that. Figure out who you that's need to talk to. That's a good one. Yeah. Figure out who you need to talk to and go, go to them. Uh, number, uh, you know, I guess number two is 
when I get the emails that say, hi, I'd like to talk to you about this, you know, exciting application, buzzword, buzzword, buzzword. Let me get 15 minutes or 30 minutes with you this week. Uh, and they don't say anything about what it's about. Uh, nothing, right? It's just a short email full of buzzwords asking me for time. Time is probably what I have the least of, frankly. So don't do that. Uh, and the last one, and this is my biggest pet peeve, frankly, with salespeople. Ooh. Do not mask your phone number when you call me. Oh, that's a good one. We haven't heard that one yet. Do not do that. I can't tell you how many times, and it's 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 almost like an epidemic right now, right? So you'll get somebody maybe that's a solution provider from California. They'll call me uh, and change their phone number to look like maybe they're calling me locally from Philadelphia or something. So I think I'm getting a local call. I answer it, and then I am on the phone with a salesman. That's a cold call. Um, and I don't understand the, the mindset behind that because you're trying to trick me into answering the phone and you're trying to start a business relationship off with me on a dishonest note. So I don't know why that you would try to do that, but it happens a lot. Uh, so now what would I prefer happen? Uh, I, uh, I would very much appreciate if you want to do business with me that you uh, send me an email and say, uh, here's this great application, here's this great solution, here's the great whatever that I have, here's a link or here's uh, an article or here's a paper that I've attached for you to review when you have a minute. I'll follow up with you in a week or so to see if you're interested and we can set something up. That's the best thing. So then when I have time, I can review it, think of questions to ask you when you reach back out uh, or I'll, you know, uh, be able to tell you I'm not interested or, 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 or what, but um, that's probably the way that I would prefer things to happen is you send me your information with something for me to review, and then you can come back and follow me in a week or so, and then we can set something up if I'm interested, but we'll have a much more, a much uh, more fruitful conversation if I have time to review, digest, think of some questions. Um, that's probably my preferred way. I appreciate the not on a dishonest note, because it's so funny because if you're not in loss prevention, you you really don't get it. Like you don't know the personality of the fact that most loss prevention folks deal with dishonesty all the time. And it's it's quite irritating, you know, that then the solution provider uh, sends you a note, Will, you're not gonna believe this. I'm actually gonna be in your area <laughs> next week. Imagine the coincidence, let's get together. Nobody comes to my corporate office uh, on purpose. Uh, we're, we are so remote. Uh, nobody happens to be driving through town. <laughs> yeah. So if you're going to use that one on Will, he certainly knows that that is dishonest. I think everyone does when you get the whole, I'm at, oh my God, imagine the coincidence that I'm in your yeah. neck of the woods. Yeah. It doesn't work. Okay. Okay. I said that was the last question. One more. Um, if you had to advise on professional development, like things that you're like, okay, these things are key through your career. If you had to pick, I don't know, top three, it doesn't matter. Um, what would you say? Uh, man, I, you know what? I would probably kick that back over. And I would say the if, if I have a, one of my associates that's asking me, do you think I should go get a degree or should I go get an MBA or, or, or what is it or whatever it is, right? Uh, I, I would probably say it depends on what you want to do. What do you want to do? If you want to be, uh, if you are extremely happy being a DAPM and that's your uh, aspiration and where you're comfortable and where you're good, um, 
you know, I don't know that there's, and you don't need to get an MBA, you know, but yes, there is definitely a point uh, in your career as you can certainly get into the field without formal education. Um, but there will be a point, know that if you uh, want to uh, achieve certain goals uh, and certain levels of the organization, you're going to need a college degree. It doesn't matter to me personally what that degree is in. It doesn't have to be criminal justice. I myself have a master's in anthropology, so uh, it doesn't have to be necessarily related to the criminal justice system. Right? <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, so it depends on what you want to do and, and how far up you want to go. Um, but certainly, uh, it doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be formal education. It can uh, certainly be a certification program, uh, CFE, CFI, uh, LPC, LPQ, all great programs that I support and endorse for my team and, and provide funds for them to go through those programs. Um, but, you know, professional development is also just staying on top of the news, listening to Talk LP, reading the D&D Daily, uh, reading uh, LP Magazine when it comes out, hopping on some blogs, uh, those types of things, staying on top of the news in the industry. Again, I mentioned this uh, earlier about building and maintaining relationships, uh, network, learn from share groups, learn from peers at other companies. Um, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to be something that you're going to get some alphabet soup after your name for you to go do it. You just need to uh, keep your mind sharp and stay on top of the game. And that's developing as much as anything. But I absolutely encourage uh, people to do anything that they uh, want to do. I do not discourage education, uh, be formal or, or otherwise. I think it's, it's, it's all good, uh, but it will depend on how much you do it will depend on how far and how wide you want to go. No, great, great feedback. And I think even if someone demonstrates the fact that they're a lifelong learner, right? I mean, at least you know they're bettering themselves, which I think is just the fun, one of the fundamental principles you just described. Right. I, you know, I just did, I completed a, a cert certification, a graduate certificate just six months ago. I took advantage of that during uh, COVID and, and the office is being shut down. I went back to to a graduate program. So uh, it's it's a good quality. I, I like it when I see it on a resume that people, you know, continue to learn and continue to do uh, those types of things. Uh, it's, it's certainly not required, but it definitely will benefit you in expanding your knowledge base. And, and you know, if you, if you do really well in AP and maybe one day you want to move into HR or you want to move into uh, store operations or some other part of the business or IT even, uh, I've had people from my team very recently move into HR and move into IT roles. Um, and that's, uh, you know, because we do encourage that cross-functionality and pollination of other departments. And you're a pilot. I am. I do. That's nuts. I, I am a pilot. Yes. So I have you my... drive a lot like the Cessnas going on. And you see my coffee cup? World's okay as pilot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want that coffee cup on my next Southwest flight right there in the cockpit. But how long? So so you've been a pilot for how long? Uh, nine years. Wow. So do you fly regularly, like for real? Yes, I have. I have a Piper Cherokee uh, four-seater airplane at the airport here. Uh, I am probably in it. Uh, I don't know. Most Saturday mornings, I am. Oh I, my God! Like just most Saturday mornings, just... I'm catching the the sunrise, and you know, and I have a friend of mine who who flies with me quite often, and so we have four or five different airports that we'll fly to that are an hour, hour and a half away, and we'll land, and they have diners, and we'll have breakfast, or or get a cheeseburger if it's lunchtime or something. And we come back. Oh my God. 
I I gotta see that. You gotta send us a picture. We'll put it in the show notes. But okay. that's a little fun fact about Will England. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Gotta Thank tell you, that's nuts. Yep. <laughs> well, Will, we really appreciate you stopping into the Talk LP hot seat. Uh, thank you so much. Sure. All yeah, right. Absolutely. If anybody has follow up questions, if you want to reach out, you know, you can toss my email address up there. I'll be glad to. Okay. Make a so pen pal with anybody. Now you're going to get those solution providers that are like, hey, gonna, here's the paper. They're going to find me anyway. <laughs> We're going to drop Will's contact information in the show notes. We appreciate everybody listening. You can always tweet us at Let's Talk LP. I promise I'll get back to you at some point. <laughs> and don't forget to download the Talk LP news app with your late breaking headlines all about loss prevention. It's super easy, no registration required. That's it. Thanks so much, Will. We appreciate it. Thanks, everybody. Cast, cast, cast. No one can do it like we do it.